From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. School sports are back in session, so I want to talk about how best to protect student athletes from concussion. Joining me today is Dr. Debbie Spinks. She's an assistant professor of physical medicine and rehabilitation and a rehabilitation psychologist. Thank you for making time for this interview, Dr. Spinks. My pleasure. Is concussion a concern only in the contact sports like football and soccer, or have you seen kids who got head injuries playing other sports or activities? We see concussions in a variety of sports, um, some that people don't consider very contact to begin with. So obviously hockey, football, um, but basketball, volleyball, uh, cheerleading is a big one. Um, even just balls, you know, kids goofing around with each other, you know, piggyback riding, things like that. So it, any form, sports and non-sports. Let's go over um, the most common symptoms of a concussion. How would someone know or how would a parent know that their child might have a concussion? Uh, a few physical symptoms are usually the first ones kids are aware of, headache being the number one most obvious symptom, um, followed by maybe some dizziness, nausea with the headache, uh, blurry vision, double vision, uh, even briefly after an injury, light sensitivity to the sunlight or the, the the other lights at school, noise sensitivity, cafeterias, things like that bothering them more often, and just things in their daily life bothering them more often, like TV and computer screens, um, the noise with their families at home. Does the person need to have lost consciousness when they fell or had their injury? Is that um, a, a no. predictor? No. No, uh, you don't have to lose consciousness to have sustained a concussion. It is one of the criteria that helps diagnose it. Uh, makes it pretty clear that a concussion occurred if you lost consciousness. Um, but if you have an altered mental status, confusion, you're dazed, um, or can't remember uh, moments, seconds, or minutes around your injury, that can also clarify that the brain was injured enough that it likely sustained concussion. So, if you have a student athlete who's got these symptoms, what do you advise parents to do? Should they do they need to go to the hospital, or can they keep them at home? Um, do they do you want them to sleep it off, or do they need to keep them awake? I mean, what sorts of practical advice do you have? Well, it's good to watch the student um, just to see how they're feeling. If if symptoms are really severe, a really bad headache, or they're vomiting nonstop, or something like that. It's a little more unusual, but certainly get direct medical attention, urgent care or an ER. Many times, though, keeping an eye on the child and making contact with the primary care physician or pediatrician for additional guidance and evaluation can direct the next steps in, in care if needed. Is there a test to confirm whether it's a concussion? There's no actual test at this time. There is research people have have heard and there might be buzz about like a blood test, um, but that's that's still the early stages and nothing like that exists at this point. And there's no brain imaging that confirms concussion or not. Uh, the, the brain imaging technology we have um, could rule out bigger issues, but it's not usually helpful in diagnosing a concussion at this point. Is there a treatment for a concussion or will symptoms just go away on their own? 
for many, in fact, the majority of concussions may have symptom resolution on their own in days to weeks. Um, at times, uh, there's a large minority that might have some persisting symptoms that weeks in might benefit from a nudge in the right direction. And those, those treatments include physical therapy or occupational therapy, um, rest, avoiding stimulation, cutting back on school and, and physical activity can usually help in the early days and weeks for the symptoms to resolve on their own as well. So for most days to weeks is probably all it will take, but have you seen people with permanent damage from concussion? Um, I guess I like to, to think of it more as, as longer lasting versus permanent symptoms, because we don't really know after a certain time how, you know, what happens after we see them, but there, there can be longer lasting symptoms after concussion for a variety of reasons, depending on their prior health history, prior history of concussions, um, if they have sustained other concussions, uh, that's a risk factor for longer lasting symptoms uh, to some degree. Well, locally, we've seen a case recently where a football player died from a head injury, but I read in news coverage that it wasn't a single blow. So I was a little confused. Are head injuries sometimes cumulative? Yes, they they can be. Um, you can see that, especially if the injuries are close together, uh, they maybe don't have a chance to resolve fully before the next concussion, then those residual symptoms carry over into the newer symptoms, which can be more severe, um, may last longer, uh, take a longer recovery period. Um, so that can that is a risk with concussions, which is, is why we advocate for treating a single concussion fully till symptoms resolve before clearing them to return to sports and activities that put them at risk for yet another concussion so close. This is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith. I'm talking with Dr. Debbie Spinks. She's an assistant professor of physical medicine and rehabilitation at Upstate, and we're talking about concussions. So let's talk a little about prevention. Um, football players, for instance, wear helmets, but how protective are those? Well, as, as you can see, you can still get a concussion even though you're wearing a helmet. So they, they aren't fully preventative 100%, but they can limit or reduce the impact from uh, the, the tackling. Um, and the, the risk of perhaps having a concussion from a, a hit that otherwise would have certainly caused a concussion had the helmet not been on. Um, so it, it does provide some, some benefit and some prevention, but it's not foolproof. Do players in other sports need to consider headgear? I mean, we hear about the helmets in football and, and I think lacrosse also, right? Or field hockey? Are, yeah. are other sports needing head protection, do you think? Uh, that's a that's a hard question in terms of, of needing or would it benefit. Um, I think some players are choosing to wear like the full 90 in soccer is a big one that we get asked about, um, which is a band around the, the forehead and the, and the head. Um, I think it, it sometimes provides a sense of some protection, some impact absorption for, for students if they've had a concussion and they want to protect themselves or add that extra layer, so to speak. Um, 
but I think we're still looking into the benefits of, of, you know, should there be helmets in some of these other sports? Is the risk for concussion high enough to warrant investigating this? So it's still, still in the works. What about modifying games to reduce the risk of head injuries? Have you seen that happening in certain sports? I, mean, I think some of the games have tried to modify their, their maybe the way they tackle um, or, or how, um, how they check in hockey, not being an athlete myself. I don't know all, all of the terminology and training and coaching, but I, I think, I think the coaches and trainers are so much more educated on concussion and are, are trying to identify if there's ways to coach their athletes to tackle in a, in a way maybe that doesn't involve head to head contact, for example, in, in football and using more, um, the stronger parts of your upper body versus head and neck. Because I wonder if concussions are more of a risk for the young athlete versus the professionals. Um, you know, as the young athletes are developing, are they more at risk than the professionals that are, you know, doing this every day? I don't uh, don't know how young, you know, you're thinking by that, but um, yeah, it's, there's the risk. I think it's there regardless of how young or old you are. There's less force involved with the younger kids anyway, uh, versus, you know, once you get to be maybe 12, 13 and um, high school and college age. So there's different factors, um, different mechanical factors and speeds and acceleration, deceleration forces to consider at younger ages. You just don't get that much of a force uh, per se, but but I know it's it's still again something we're looking at. The research is looking at in terms of are there risks we need to re, you know be rethinking what ages um, are appropriate for some of these contact sports. How concerned should parents of student athletes be about the risk of CTE, that chronic traumatic encephalopathy? Is that something that you ever see in young people? If we're talking student athletes, we would say no. Um, it's it's definitely something that's more of a, a, a progressive disease, and it is rare to begin with. Um, it doesn't, I, I think, in the youngest folks uh, that I've read about or heard about with CTE, it may be in the 30s. It's been confirmed in some younger adults. Um, but again, it can't be tested either until until you die. So it's hard to to really know if you know, on what age it may have affected some of those other individuals. But if you've got a child who has repeated head injuries, um, I mean, would that be a concern that you know in their future they may end up having some issues? Yeah. Again, with the risk of it, really, from what we know, being pretty low, um, especially from sports as a child in particular. I don't think there's any. Uh, significant concern, concern parents need to have about that as most kids do recover from concussions fully and completely. And with the education we have, we are certainly keeping kids away from risks of re-injury at this point until they are more fully healed. Whereas I think that wasn't happening in the decades past with the professional athletes that were studied for the CTE research. So it's really hard to generalize um, to current concussion practices and risks as well. So that's still yet to be discovered. 
let me ask you a little more about CTE. Do, do we know for sure what causes it, or do we know why some players who have repeated head injuries develop CTE and some of them don't? Do we even understand? Well, I know the research has found now that we can diagnose it after death um, through brain autopsies. There's a, a certain tau protein that develops and kind of um, forms like a plaque in the brain which leads to these symptoms. Um, so we know the elements that cause CTE. Um, but that's like after the fact, there's, there's not a yeah. test ahead of time to tell you, right? Unfortunately, it's about treating the symptoms um, and each person's brain's different and each person's response to concussion is different. So that's probably gonna factor into why some athletes may develop CTE in the future, while many don't. You know, it'd be a small portion that we would expect may develop it if there perhaps is a repeated history of concussions over a longer period. Well, I appreciate you taking time to talk to us about head injuries and CTE. My guest has been rehabilitation psychologist Debbie Spinks. She's an assistant professor of physical medicine and rehabilitation at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's HealthLink on Air.